CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Get outside and explore Chicago on a CAFC river cruise aboard Chicago's First Lady. Now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Called the number one boat tour in Chicago by TripAdvisor, CAC docents share the fascinating secrets and stories behind more than 50 famous buildings facing the Chicago River. Delight in panoramic views and hear how our hometown became world-renowned for its architecture. Book your tickets today at architecture.org. Hey, college students. Are you looking for a way to get ahead this summer? Northwestern University is offering hundreds of undergrad courses online this summer. Choose an intensive sequence in learning. Registration is open now. Visit northwestern.edu slash summer for details. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Ben Jarofsky show for Thursday, July 9th is just moments away. But before we do this, let's thank these unions for uh, sponsoring our program. Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150 are sponsors, as well as our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Ben, you're welcome. No song of the day. We're already running late. The Ben Jarofsky show starts now. It is Thursday, July 9th. And live from Ben's Attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Cannabis Conversation with Wanda James. And now your host... Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Supreme Court Smackdown Thursday. And here's why. So the day broke bright and early with a celebratory text from my dear friend Monroe Anderson. 7-2. That's what he wrote. 7-2 was all it read. But even in my groggy state, my groggy state of waking up at, you know, some ungodly hour, even I knew what he was saying. He was telling me with that 7-2 text that the Supreme Court had ruled 7-2 against Trump on the tax returns. Something you should know. Monroe Anderson and I have been having a friendly debate on this point for many, many months. We'll probably be debating this point for many, many months to come. We'll probably be debating this point when we're old and retired, even older than we are now, D, in Happy Trails Senior Citizen Home. Okay? Imagine me and Monroe in Happy Trails, D. Anyway, 
the basic point of our debate is this. I think the Supreme Court is a bunch of, mm, I don't want to say political hacks. That's so strong. How about political operatives? Basically, the Democrats vote as Democrats, the Republicans vote as Republicans, and every now and then, more often than not, they punt. They don't want to take a strong stand. Uh, and Monroe, well, you know, he's a little more optimistic than I am. He thinks that it's legit, like they truly care about the greater issues that come before them. Uh, and uh, so they're all about, you know, ruling for truth and justice. So it comes down to uh, the ruling on Trump and his taxes. I predicted that they would rule on the side of darkness and evil and allow Trump to shield his taxes. And Monroe said, no, no, oh, no, knew it. There, that I, Ben Jarofsky, was too jaded. Ah, can you believe that? He said that about me. I was too jaded. And when push came to shove, the Supreme Court would rule on the side of sunshine and truth. Well, looks like I was right, ladies and gentlemen. Jaded wins again. All right, let's get to specifics. Boiling it down. Every president for the last, I don't know, 40 years or so has released his tax returns. So we can see if they have a conflict of interest, but not Trump. He says he can't release his returns because the IRS won't let him because he's being audited, which is a lie. Well, okay, wait, hold on. I don't know whether he's lying about being audited. That could be true. But there is no IRS ruling that says a person who's being audited can't publicize his tax returns, particularly a person who's running for president or a person who's serving as president. He just made that stuff up as he goes along. And by the way, it's kind of funny to think about it. The notion that Donald Trump, who prides himself on just breaking rules, who prides himself on changing laws with executive orders, would you know bow down to some decision by a bureaucrat in the IRS. There was no such decision, just so you know. But let's imagine that there was. I can't release my taxes because some bureaucrat uh, at the IRS won't let me. That's kind of funny. Anyway, it's almost as funny as the notion that the IRS wouldn't let him release him in the first place. Uh, So anyway, here we go. So that leads us to speculation as to why he won't release those taxes. And there's generally two schools of thought uh, on this issue. One is that he uh, is not as rich as he says says he is, so he wants to conceal just how broke he is. The other one is that he's up to his eyeballs and crooked deals that he doesn't want you to see. That's more or less Monroe's position on the matter. Monroe has a very interesting theory, which I uh, hope you guys check in on every Wednesday when he comes on. The, he loves talking about it, about how, Monroe, uh, how about Trump is uh, probably up to his eyeballs and deals with Russians. Whatever. Prosecutors in New York City wanted to see his tax returns in regard to cases they're pursuing related to Trump paying off Stormy Daniels. Remember that controversy? It's still with us. Uh, And Democratic congressmen wanted to see his tax returns in connection to a series of investigations they were doing, look at having into other Trump shenanigans. But Trump wanted to block his release at least until after November's election because he didn't want them to be an issue. He didn't want them to be a reason why some swing voter in Wisconsin might take a look at, let's say, a dealing Trump has with Putin and say, oh, my God, that's it. He's gone too far. I can't vote for him. As if that's what it would take to get a swing voter. I don't know. I'm starting to think nothing could get a swing voter to budge from Trump. But anyway, that's what Trump's wor- worried of. It kind of reminds me of uh, Chicago. Let's go back and make, localize everything. 
when uh, Rahm Emanuel would not release the Laquan McDonald video. Remember that? He had that video, but if he released it right before the election, he was afraid that people would turn against him uh, in the 2015 mayoral election if that video were released. I, to this, to this day, say, had he released it, he would have looked more credible. But whatever. Rom, the last person Rom's going to listen to is me. Anyway, back to Donald Trump. So two different cases were working their way through the courts. They came to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court had to make, make a decision. And this was a tough decision. I'm not minimizing uh, the importance, the significance of what they were facing. Far more important and significant than anything I'm facing, sitting in my attic overlooking the alley and a porta potty. They had to decide whether they were going to compel the president of the United States or the president of the United States accountants to immediately release tax returns, tax statements, tax records that Trump had been concealing for years. And they knew that there was a possibility that if they compelled those accountants to release that information, that they could have they could play a pivotal role in November's election. It is possible that they are like me and they believe, or they're like Rom, and they believe that releasing essential information might sway voters, might educate voters, might give voters a compelling reason to vote against Donald John Trump. Hey, that's tough. On the other hand, if they rule in Trump's favor, they're buying into all sorts of cockamamie ideas that the president is above the law. And then they would lose all credibility as like being legitimate judges. So here was their choice. Do they rule in favor of what they know in their hearts is the right decision and that the president is not above the law? And the president does have to comply with subpoenas like all the rest of us, like Supreme Courts have done in the past with presidents like Nixon and Clinton. Do that. They could play a role in November's election. So what they had to do is figure out a way. Figure out some way to avoid the issue of having an impact in November's election while still maintaining a shred of credibility as a legitimate group of judges. Man, you got to give these guys credit. They are slick operators. I guess, it, you know, you got to be smart and clever to make it that far in the judiciary. To get that far, you don't get there by taking a strong stand. You know how to play the game. So, yeah, they issued these uh, rulings. We'll be talking about them later today. Uh, Jim Coogan will be coming on next week. We'll be taking a deep dive with Jim. I've already been texting back and forth with him. He's already got some theories on it. But essentially, this is, this is the bottom line. They punted. They said Congress didn't have the absolute right to get that information, and they kicked that case back. And they said, yes, the feds do have the right, but there's some procedural matters that have to be cleaned up, so they're kicking back that back too. So when all the reporters looking to write their lead want to write, answer this sentence, when will those tax returns be publicized? The answer is after November's election. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, just got to see what Dennis is doing. It's pretty funny. Uh, almost there. Almost there. Oh. <laughs> so, yes, 
Ladies and gentlemen, they had an opportunity to take a Monroe Anderson-like stand for truth and justice, or they could prove once again that Ben is right to be jaded, skeptical, cynical. Looks like jaded and cynicism wins again. We got a great show correct. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Wanda James. Folks, you're going to love Wanda James. I was talking to her uh, be, uh, before the show, and she is one of the few um, black uh, dispensary owners, reefer dispensary, I'm sorry, cannabis dispensary. She's a legend in the industry. Uh, in fact, Vincent Norman, who runs the Marijuana Hall of Fame, says she would be one of the first inductees. But she's also very political, as I discovered when I was chatting with her, D. And she was fired up and ready to go. I go, well, we're going to concentrate on a lot of reefer issues. But she was talking about the Supreme Court. She was talking about Biden. Good stuff. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with Wanda James. That'll be at 2 o'clock. Uh, Lisa Solomon will join us. Let's hope all the uh, Facebook messengers and the phones work. I'm sure they will. No, re no reason. They work every time. They work. No reason to live in fear. No. No. Especially when they work every time. Yeah, they work every time. Uh, anyway, so uh, that's what we have coming up. Then we have some great interviews after that. Uh, we're going to um, do a bunch of bonus hits, man. We got bonus shows. Uh, lined up for uh, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and Tuesday, D, right? We're Absolutely. We're going to be taking Tuesday off. I have some personal issues to take care of. Don't want to talk about it. I'm yes. fine. I'm fine. Uh, but uh, he'll take care of those issues, and uh, we'll drop a bonus segment on Tuesday, and we'll be rocking and rolling on Wednesday, right, D? Yes, sir. Uh, so anyway, uh, so that's what we have uh, in the future at the moment. The man from Alton, the man they call Dr. D news hey everybody how's it going it's just dennis all right now i can't speak for our host ben jaroski but me personally i'm ready to find out what's happening in chicago and or illinois this afternoon so let's do that huh yeah okay actually before we do that we need to hear from you and yes i mean you the ben jaroski show listener by the way how's it going listener doing good really wow oh that's sad to hear Anyway, a handful of you have reached out to us uh, on both Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages, and we can't thank you enough for that. Uh, so let's go ahead and read some of your comments here from all of you. First off, shout out to both Frank and Babs on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page. Ben, they wanted to let you know you just talked about it. Surprise, surprise, you lost another bet. That's correct. <laughs> well, okay, but as I pointed out, ultimately... It was a pun, but well, I mean, there's ahead. always a way to spin it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good now, they're, they're both referring to your interview with Monroe Anderson on Wednesday. Yeah. Frank sent us a link to ABCnews.com. The headline reads, Supreme Court rejects Trump claim of absolute immunity from New York grand jury subpoena. Uh, uh, and it says here, oh, I believe, uh, yeah, you two made that bet. Monroe said it was 7-2. to two, And in typical Bendrovsky fashion, you were uh, stubborn and said something like, man, you're crazy. <laughs> I think I said five to four. And the article Frank sent us reads, Chief Justice John Roberts, writing the 7-2 majority opinion, concluded that no citizen, not even the president, is categorically above the common duty to produce evidence when called upon or called upon in a criminal proceeding. Uh, so there was that. And I guess our dear friend and Ben Jarofsky show devotee Babs wanted to rub this one in your face as well, <laughs> saying, quote, LOL, Monroe nailed it. That's a blue Mustang and a reader coloring book. 
We don't give either of those away. That's hilarious. By the way, yeah. check out that Chicago Reader coloring book. It's a good time. Hey, right good. here. Well, yeah, good. Let me actually hand that to me real quick. I'm looking at the Chicago Reader coloring book right now. If you guys check this out, you really should. Holy, that's a hot dog and fries. You can color in a hot dog and fries. Oh, my God, a hippie on uh, on a raft. So many things that you can color in the Chicago Reader. Oh, that's Michael Jordan. Guys, it's an amazing coloring book. Go check it out, chicagoreader.com. They'd greatly appreciate it. Uh, let's see here. Okay, so that was that. Uh, also, after we mentioned the birthday of Beatles drummer Ringo Starr on the program... Uh, we went to the Facebook page and asked all of you, what is your favorite Ringo Starr song? Hmm, very interesting question. Thank you to everyone who weighed in with your responses. Helen weighed in. Her favorite Ringo Starr song, with a little help from my friends. What I do you think of that, that one? Song, yeah. I, and Ringo does sing it, yep. Uh, da, da, I, do you, which version do you like better, Ringo's version or Joe Cocker's? There we go. Ah, Ringo, all the way. Ringo all the way. What do you do when you turn out the lights? There you go, guys. I know we didn't give you a song of the day, so there you go. That's a good song, man. Uh, another Helen. Two Helens. Oh, my goodness. Wait, two different people. Two different Helens sent us a comment on their favorite Ringo Starr song. Uh, Ringo, you got a lot of fans named Helen, apparently. Uh, she typed, uh, you're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine. She said uh, that when she was 16, her boyfriend sang it to her all the time. Uh, now that's going to be implanted in my head for a long time. Of course, that's a cover. I forget who did the original song. Uh, Frank, look that up, please. Uh, and uh, But yeah, I could just hear that. It's right now in my mind. You're 16, you're beautiful, and you're mine. Whoa, whoa, whoa. All right, so that was uh, Helen number two, her favorite song. Uh, Jeremy weighed in on the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page and let us know his favorite Ringo Starr song, Don't Pass Me By. Don't pass me by. Don't make me cry. Oh, he loves these songs, guys. <laughs> well, these are all pre-79. I figured. This is my wheelhouse, D. <laughs> Our dear friend and front man of my personal favorite Chicago band, The Curls, uh, Mick Fansler, sent us his favorite Ringo song. Well, I say song, but it was a picture of the cover art of Ringo's album, Bad Boy. I didn't even know there it was must have come out after 1979. I know. Bad Boys. Do, 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 bad boy. But I know it's not that song. You know, know, you know that song, Dave? Bad, bad, bad boy. I think That's so. It's not a summer. Yeah. Bad boy. I know that song. Yeah. And there's the, the Cops song, Rest in Peace, Cop, the show Cops. Uh, and also the Curls have a song called Bad Boy. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. All right. And finally, a guy named Bird. Cool name. Uh, he sent us a comment. He says, guys, that's merely a subset of what's your favorite Beatles song. The answer to both is the same. Way, way, way too many faves to pick just one. Hmm. Uh, it's a subset of favorite Beatles song. Yeah, I guess that's unless you want to do. Um, well, I think you're 16. You're beautiful in mine is a, uh, a Ringo Starr solo song. Uh, and then there's that other one I was singing all day yesterday. Remember that one, D? It don't come easy. Oh, boy, I blocked it, it out, but now it's back. <laughs> ben Jarofsky on the drums. Yeah. Uh, we got a request on the live stream chat. Jim says, Ben, sing Taxman. 
oh, that's uh, George Harrison. But John Lennon took the credit for it in the Playboy interview. He goes, actually, I had a mouth. George was stumbling. John Lennon, like every good song the Beatles did, he, he either took full credit for it if he didn't write it, or he dismissed it if he didn't. But anyway, Taxman. Taxman. I'm your Taxman. <laughs> I forget, though. Something for you, 19 for me. I sing that song every time I... Fill out that property tax bill, D, that is still sitting there. Get ready to pay itself. Uh, and uh, David weighed in on the live stream chat. Not a Ringo fan, apparently. He said, there's a Ringo star song worth mentioning? I think not. <laughs> uh, a lot of people actually think that, D. So, a hey, guys. A lot of people think that. Thanks for that. Feel free to weigh in on both uh, Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages at Benny J Show. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on both Facebook and Twitter. Make sure to say hey to Leah. She's the one who's putting in the hard work here on our social media. Uh, say hey to Leah and weigh in with your thoughts. Uh, finally here, uh, shout out to a listener named Ellen. She reached out to us via mm. email. By the way, you can do that as well. Benny J Show at gmail.com. Ellen sent us a very nice message, and uh, pardon my French here, but holy shit, that was very nice of you, Ellen, to send this. It really meant a lot. I'm not going to read the email. It's it's a little self-aggrandizing, but Ellen did have a request. Yes. She had a simple request, and Ellen, this one is for you. (laughs) Come on. Come on, everybody. (laughs) Baby, I don't want you to go. Gotta protect this place. Stay home, Chicago. Stay home if there's nowhere that you need to go. Oh yeah! <laughs> Stay home and go in your place today. Yeah. Gotta protect this place. Stay home, Chicago. <laughs> Okay, Ben, put the lighter away. <laughs> well, can I just say something about Ellen's email before you move on? Dan? Yeah. Uh, it was a beautiful email. Dennis read it to me uh, right before the show, and it made me feel really good. Ellen, so I want to thank you very much for writing that email. And one of the things she said in the email is how much she enjoys the, uh, the partnership between uh, Dennis and myself, or as she called him, what did she say? Well, how did she put it? Uh, Dr. D, not a doctor. She had Doctor, all. Do- yeah, she had them all. Dr. D, Doobie, Nice, or something like that. Yeah, so, you know, we've been doing this show, uh, Dennis and myself, since the end of February 2019. Uh, and we've been doing this show from my attic, overlooking the alley since mid-March of this year. Uh, and I'm just going to take a moment to say how proud I am of uh, the audience we've built, Dennis and I have built. We've done this. It's a two-man operation, basically. It's two goofballs in an attic overlooking an alley with the brown line going by. Two guys have done all this. Uh, I booked the guests and bring them on and interview them. Dennis does all the production show uh, work and um, all those phone calls that, that keep me up at night. So, uh, yeah, it's a great partnership. And let's uh, let's keep it going. So, Ellen, thank you very much for the shout out and mentioning that. Really appreciate Ellen, 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 come on, everybody! Yeah, hey, what the hell? No, I'm just kidding. We're not gonna play. Oh, anything. come on, man! <laughs> I love that song. Come on. Who is the guy? Do you know his name? Uh, just some dude. 
Accordion man. Yeah. That's what we call him here. Maybe we can get him for an interview, huh? That'd be an excellent bonus. <laughs> okay, put the accordion away. Can you tell us about Lori Lightfoot? What are your thoughts on her? It'd be awesome. Oh, Jay Marie on the live stream chat. I guess I do have the Howard Dean scream. Oh! <laughs> All right, time for the local news. That's correct. Okay. First up, Illinois Governor Jamie Pritzker. Springtime. Love it. Okay. okay. Summer, but okay. Springtime. Yeah, cool. No public events scheduled for the governor, but we must talk about Pritzker's hearing that went down on Wednesday. Guys, I got a confession to make. I lied, all right? I said it was boring because I couldn't find the audio. It was going live and I couldn't find the audio. So I said, that's eh, tell everybody it's boring and we can move on. Actually, there was some very informative stuff involved in this hearing, and the following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and one Tina Sfondelez. Tina, hope you're doing well. Uh, it says here, Governor J.B. Pritzker, an avid critic of President Trump. Boy, you can say that over and over again. <laughs> an avid critic of President Trump and his response to the COVID-19 pandemic called on the federal government Wednesday to require face coverings and to devise a national strategy to try to contain the virus that has killed more than 133,000 Americans. We have a quote from Pritzker here. Pritzker said, quote, we need a national masking mandate. We instituted ours in Illinois on May 1st, the first in the nation, and it aligns with our most significant downward shifts in our infection rate. Pritzker said this in the testimony. Uh, he also said it's not too late for the federal government to make an impact. In fact, it's more important than ever. Pritzker is not the only governor to call for a national mask mandate. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy has also done so. Trump does not wear a mask and has said it is a voluntary measure, despite health officials urging Americans to wear face coverings to try to contain the virus spread. Sfondelis continues, saying the Democratic governor, our governor on Wednesday, said the federal government must still create a coordinated national strategy for containment with more testing and contact tracing. Pritzker also asked for more help from the federal government to make up for revenue losses during the pandemic and for clarity on insurance coverage for COVID-19 testing. Pritzker, too, asked for continued National Guard help at federal testing sites and said in the face of a possible, maybe even likely second wave, the Trump administration halted federal funding for two testing sites in Illinois last month, but the state is keeping the sites open with state funding. Vin Jarofsky, your thoughts? Well, I do believe we should uh, have a, a national policy toward masks. Uh, it, it, the whole way that the masks have become a political issue uh, is frightening in, in many uh, aspects. In, in, uh, you know, it was David Ferris that talked about this very early on. The, I think we were still back in the studio uh, doing an interview with David Ferris on this subject, the uh, Roosevelt uh, University political science professor, and this was in early March, I want to say, where he talked about polls that showed that Republicans, by and large, did not believe that the pandemic, or it wasn't a pandemic then, but the coronavirus was a serious concern. They didn't believe they had to wash their hands, which was kind of a weird thing, just not believing you had to wash your hands. Uh, and so, you know, we've had this obvious political split, and it, it was on display uh, yesterday. It was an article I was reading about uh, New Hampshire, and Donald Trump this weekend is going to have a rally in New Hampshire, and the Trump uh, campaign strategists aren't quite sure how to handle this because the Tulsa rally that they had uh, was such a disaster on so many levels, not the least of which was the health concerns uh, that the number of cases in Tulsa may have been spiked because of 
that route. There's still more investigation that needs. To, they know the cases have spiked. Whether they're directly connected to Tulsa, we can't say with a complete degree of certainty. But uh, anyway, so there's health concerns in New Hampshire. There's political concerns because uh, the uh, the governor of New Hampshire, Sununo, who is a Republican, um, is distancing himself from the rally. He does not want to be like the governors of South Dakota. Uh, or the governors of Oklahoma that embraced Trump, or the governor of Florida, for that matter, who was uh, DeSantis, who's welcoming Trump to give to bring his uh, convention speech to Jacksonville. Uh, so it's it's just like the the even the Republicans are now caught in this as we have this like I don't know if it's a second wave uh, of the coronavirus. So I agree with Pritzker very much that um, had we had just a, a concerted national effort led by our president from the get-go. We might be, we'd probably be better off in terms of the coronavirus. And here's the perverse irony of it all. Trump's re-election campaign would probably be better off because he would be looking like a leader. But uh, as we've learned from the get-go, you can't expect Donald Trump to behave in a rational manner. That is pretty clear. Uh, and uh, so here, that's where we are. So yes, D, I'm with uh, uh, I'm with um, Pritzker on this one. And you know, I guess uh, Pritzker wasn't kidding when he said a couple months back, "Big problems <laughs> become big problems oh, when you wow. let small problems sit." Nip it at the bud, baby. Okay, way to go, JB Pritzker. All right, uh, moving on to some city news. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. We've said it's time to bring in the light. And it's sure shining on all of us tonight. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot today on the mayor's agenda. Uh, mayor Lightfoot is or was at the South Shore Cultural Center to release the COVID-19 Recovery Task Force advisory report if we have updates on that we will keep you posted uh, but right now we need to talk about what went down last night shout out to the hoodwazee mm. they had an event last night at about 7 30 it was a uh, i'm doing air quotes here guys you can't see me i'm doing air quotes a celebration Bring in the light of Lori Lightfoot. Uh, a panel of people were uh, on your favorite zoom <laughs> They love Zoom, D. Oh my love God. it, love they, it, love it. They love Zoom. And uh, when I when I talk about the air quote celebration, you'll know what I'm saying when I read the panel. Uh, Stacey Davis Gates. SDG. She's got a bit of a, a history with the mayor, does she not? Oh, yeah, they're great friends. They love each other. I, I've, always, I've always said they should settle their differences on the basketball court, but neither one of them listens to me, D. They're both point guards, high school oh, point boy, guards. boy, no one listening to Ben Jarofsky, huh? Interesting. Uh, they should, though. Uh, also on the panel was Alderman Byron Sigcho Lopez. Also has a history at the mayor, isn't that right? Yes, he does. Remember, they had that exchange when the mayor, was it a speech he gave in, in New York? Uh, talking about development in Pilsen, how bad Pilsen was, how dangerous it was before the development came, and Byron Sixel Lopez uh, spoke. By the way, uh, Lorraine Targos, who is coincidentally married to Byron Sixel Lopez, will be coming on the show next week. I booked her. She's our favorite scientist, or one of our favorite scientists. I want to say she's our favorite scientist. She's EPA scientist, a political activist extraordinaire. She'll be on the show next week. 
Yeah, this video they did was pretty interesting. Right now I'm checking it out here. I'm a little behind. I meant to watch it last night, but, you know, life. Uh, <laughs> L life, L-I-F-E. Uh, ever heard of it? Ever heard of it? <laughs> but they did, like, this little Jeopardy parody, which is pretty funny. Uh, right now I'm pulling up uh, the audio here. Uh, another guest on the panel was our dear friend, our Chicago reader colleague and uh, writer, one Maya Dukmasova. I have uh, some audio here of Maya. Let's go ahead and hear it here. Here's uh, Maya talking with host Ricardo Gamboa. And uh, she also uh, talked a little bit with Stacey Davis Gates. By the way, you guys can check this out uh, on Facebook. Uh, go check it out. Thanks to Jay Marie who sent me this. Let's hear what uh, our good friend Maya had to say. Possible for a person like Lori Lightfoot with not like a lot of uh, kind of political skills and instincts. I wouldn't say she's like someone who would be uh, an, an, an I, I don't know. I feel like she's kind of a personality-wise, she doesn't really fit into the traditional Chicago political landscape, but she's able to succeed because of this uh, very successful kind of PR management um, that's possible because of the internet. And um, I mean, I just had a, she, a couple of weeks ago, there was like a whole long interview with her in the New York Times Magazine, right. which was like, again, yeah, it's like these national media appearances in which she appears to be this like progressive leader and this like, kind of change candidate, but there's, I mean, she essentially says a whole lot of nothing and not like it was any different under Rom, but uh, I do think that the kind of memeing and the, and, and the, and the way that the internet has been uh, deployed to boost her personality, it's, it's really easy to just kind of make, give, create the impression that she is uh, actively doing things, that uh, she's got this like kind of like no bullshit personality but in fact like i think uh there's really um she's not she's not like very politically skilled and uh i don't know she doesn't have like a great track record yet of like successfully getting a lot of things accomplished stacy's like she didn't she didn't win the best strike i know that <laughs> Here's Stacey Davis thing, though, that I think is important about what Maya just like um, provided in Amika too, to be honest with you, is that there is a benefit to the work that all of the squares on the screen provided, right? There has been a shift um, leftward in Chicago. The consciousness of many Chicagoans have been shifted by grassroots organizations, by the leftward move of, you know, some of our unions in the city that there's been the sustained presence to lift up the needs of marginalized communities, um, intentional disinvestment over time. And then you have someone who has taken that language, appropriated it, and embodies black, embodies female, embodies queer, and then it's okay. Don't forget, like we're also in a time period where black women are finally getting their just due if not but for just a face or a voice, not depth, not critical, um, not a critique of what we say, how we say it, and then what we do, but because you trust black women. So you see the convergence of identity politics, the convergence of all of the work that people in this, um, in this Zoom room have put forth, and then you had the perfect storm of um, Ed Burke you know, in the, I would say the independent expenditure that the Tribune ran, you know, on the, in, on the front page nearly every day. And so you get this benefit. 
And that's why I think the response from the left, especially grassroots organizations, is so visceral in this moment. Because do you know how damn hard it is to raise your voice, to organize people to think more of their space, to get them to believe in a vision that's different? And then you have someone who rides through, extracts that language, appropriates your posture and your stance, and then doesn't provide any type of material um, benefit to the communities under which, on whose back she rode to victory. You know, that's insulting and, and it's disappointing and it's hurtful. And it also devalues type of work and the platform and, and the organizing that we've done over time. Damn, that lady's cool. <laughs> SDG really tells it like it is. Yeah, do you have any more you're going to play, D? Yeah, we have some more, but your thoughts so far of what well, we've heard. Uh, good stuff from Maya and uh, Stacey Davis-Gates. Uh, they're on uh, onto something. And I just want to pick up on uh, what SDG was saying, what Stacey Davis-Gates was saying. Uh, I, 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 when I was listening to her, I was just thinking back how easy it is for politicians in the city of Chicago to take sort of the rhetoric of progressive uh, advocates and how do I say this, D, manipulate it. So you think they're echoing you and championing you, but in reality, they're just using you and they don't mean anything by it. You know what I'm saying? And I, on a personal level, I've just seen this for years and years uh, with the TIF program, you know, one of my uh, personal crusades. And I remember Rom talking, we're gonna reform the TIF program. and you know, keeps go right back to it. And I got the, a fear that the same thing's happening with Lori Lightfoot with the TIF program. And that's just one example. Uh, police relationships with the black community. I mean, I can't say this enough. This has been an issue in the city of Chicago since the turn of the last century. And, you know, it's just, everybody's always talking about it. Nobody ever does anything about it uh but uh yeah no it's and transparency i'm just thinking of that d everyone is every mayoral uh, mayoral candidate and mayor is for a transparent administration but then what oh well we can't show you that document because it's different <laughs> you know what i'm saying like uh the eddie johnson investigation by uh the inspector general we talked about that last week they won't release that so i, I share the frustration uh, that stacy davis gates is getting at uh, there, it's very easy uh, to if you're uh, to take the rhetoric of progressives and the mantle of progressivism and just wear it and declare yourself a progressive and get away with it. And but D, I just got to say, the people, of the city of Chicago, apparently love Lori Lightfoot. What was that last poll? Seventy-five percent of the people in the city of Chicago gave her favorable rating, and I know it's higher than that on the north side. Heard a lot of complaints. Well, not on the north side, apparently. Yeah, no, they love, it's right. No complaints on our side. We love you, Lori. Uh, so the frustration of progressives, uh, I can relate to and understand because it, it goes back a long time in this town. All right, we do have more of that, and we're going to play it. Shout out once again to the Hoodwazi. You guys should do more of these events, and, uh, you know, we'd love to plug them and talk about them. This was a very awesome event, uh, very creative. Uh, this thing's like an hour and a half long. We're not going to play the whole hour and a half, but uh, we are going to play more uh, from that. But first, he's back. I don't want an answer. <laughs> it's not something you ignore. Uh, I think you're 100% full of shit, is what I think. If you think... <laughs> 
following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Mitch Dudek. Mitch the Dude. Uh, it says here, uh, Alderman Raymond Lopez blames, quote, gangbangers for throwing brick into his Brighton Park home, setting fire to nearby garage. Uh, it says here, a vandal threw a brick through the window of Alderman Raymond Lopez of the 15th Ward's home early Thursday before coming back an hour later and setting a neighbor's garage on fire. The incident happened in the 4300 block of South Artisan Avenue just hours after a confrontation between the aldermen and gang members who live five blocks west of Lopez's house in the 4300 block of South Fairfield Avenue, a block known to police and members of the community for gang activity. We have a quote from Lopez. Lopez says, quote, while I was on the block yesterday afternoon, four households of gang members came out trying to be intimidating, trying to talk their usual garbage, and one made it a point of telling me that politicians don't make peace in the neighborhood. It's up to them to decide if there's going to be peace in the neighborhood. Uh, fast forward 12 hours later, and I have bricks through my windows and fire on my neighbor's property. He says here, quote, I'll be perfectly honest, I'm quite pissed that gang members think that they can walk up to anyone's house, let alone an alderman's house, right to the front door and start breaking windows and doing what they want to do, thinking that there's no repercussions for that. This is the kind of terror and fear they try to maintain in our neighborhoods. It's the exact thing that I've been fighting against. Lopez said he'd been pressuring the owners of troubled buildings on the block, including one house in particular in recent days, to address the issue of gang activity on their properties or face or, or face stiff city penalties. We got one more quote here from Lopez. Lopez said, quote, I'm sure that message made its way down to the tenant, who in this case is a 16-year-old living with his mother. I can't say it's him, but if I was if I was a gambling man, I'd say that the people involved came from that block. Yeah, Raylo, this is, I don't know if, if people remember this, but uh, he had police guard, was it two years ago, D? Night 2017, I want to say. Mm -hmm. He came on our old show that we had to talk about it, and there was a police officer with him. I remember the police officer was accompanying uh, plain clothes, a policeman. Uh, he had, uh, so he takes these bold stands against uh, gang activity in his neighborhood. I give him a lot of credit. Listen, kind of all over the map with Raylo. Uh, we all are. Yeah, he was a he was a Rom supporter in 2015 and looked the other way uh, at all, a lot of the TIF abuses Rom was doing, and he was just an ally of uh, Ed Burke. We all know that, uh, but uh, I think he's been taking some very principled stands in the uh, age of Lori Lightfoot in terms of the division between the mayor and the city council. Dave Glowitz is pl continually playing clips from Raylo uh, where he's articulating some like grander principle about how the city council should be independent of the mayor, and I respect that. I don't see eye to eye with him on a lot of political issues. He's more to the right than I am, obviously. Uh, and his vote on uh, the TIF programs, I completely disagree with him. But I do like a principal voice of opposition to the mayor. I think the city council needs that. And I also note that he's been unafraid to stand up to some gang members in his neighborhood, and he's been threatened as a result of that. And so that shows a lot of courage on his part, too. So, um, uh, Raylo, uh, I hope you stay safe and sound. Uh, in these troubling times. we got to bring Raylo back. He hasn't been on the show in a while. No, he has not. we uh, got to get Raylo. Get him on get Zoom. Him. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> love Zoom, ladies and gentlemen. We should play that bit for him. Get his, you know what? I'm going to reach out to Raylo. Get him on the show. Oh, you mean this bit? I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit. 
Shout out to Jay Marie. She says, boy, that Lopez and Lightfoot clip never gets old. <laughs> and no matter how much I hear it, I agree with both of them and can't stand either one of them all at the same time. Nailed it. You yeah. nailed it, Jay Marie. That's correct. <laughs> It's a weird feeling, isn't it? It's a weird feeling because I, I did the analysis before. Uh, we did a breakdown of this that tape, uh, the deep dive, if you will, because he was needling her. If you the part we don't play, we did it in the deep dive. We don't play the full tape where he's just needling her about violence in his neighborhood and really throwing it in her face, uh, and in a very provocative, almost Trump-like way. And so that's when she says, I think you're 100% full of shit. <laughs> so, yeah, I can understand. You needle somebody, you get a response, it's going to happen, right? Uh, but then, you know, the other hand, he, she should be accountable and responsible for whatever tactics or strategy. Maze Jackson was talking about this yesterday. Oh, my God. What an incredible interview we had with Maze Jackson. Guys, if you've yet to hear it, you really should after... You can get done listening to this. After, yeah. Both Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader websites, wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Ben and Mays Jackson had a very candid and great conversation on what went down, uh, him recently resigning from WVON, his future, and uh, just basically his thoughts on politics. Very interesting, right, Ben? Yeah, it is. What did you uh, take away from that? Well, uh, I, I'll get to the, the larger takeaways, but I just want to say that uh, uh, Mays is allied with um, Raylo on this point uh, about the strategy, the tactics that the police were employing or lack thereof, or that the city was employing. And essentially was uh, asking that the mayor and the city be accountable to explain what they were doing in those days, what was it, the end of May, beginning of June, uh, when there was so much violence, uh, looting and unrest in neighborhoods throughout the city. What was the tactic? Uh, and then of course he was went further to say, what's our what are we doing going forward uh, to deal with violence in the neighborhoods? Uh, so that's, that's how I thought about that particular point. On the larger issue, you know, as I pointed out in the interview, Mays and I uh, are uh, opposites in many ways. He's much more conservative than I am, and I'm a lefty. Uh, that said, the, I got like a, an affinity toward Mays Jackson because he let me come on his show and be a lefty and say what I had to say. And I just find it ironic that a conservative, I would have to go to a conservative outlet, this is back in the day, a conservative outlet, you know what I'm saying? Uh, in a city that's supposedly on the left. So I admire uh, Mays for his openness to different ideas and uh, his willingness to share them. And he was a blast talker. It's always fun talking politics with me. Yeah, yeah. It was a great interview. Uh, you know, whether you agree with his politics or not, uh, it was fantastic. Ben and Mays Jackson talked candidly. Once again, both Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader websites, wherever else you download your favorite podcast, it should be uh, right at the top there. Mays Jackson. Uh, shout out. Oh, yeah. Jay Marie, it's official. You are the chat champion of the day. <laughs> Very great comment. I couldn't agree with you anymore. All right, how about the rest of that Hoodwazee uh, Lori Lightfoot celebration in quotes that they had here? Let's continue here. Stacey Davis-Gates and Maya Duke-Mazova talking on last night. You guys can go check this out. Apparently, Amara Inya had some very candid things to say as well. I'm going to look for that a little later on. But let's continue here. Stacey Davis-Gates and Maya Duke-Mazova. 
I mean, the irony is like some of the stuff that lights to kind of like call out, right? Like even like talking about like even her calling out Burke, right? Which a big thing that, you know, we know made headlines was Burke's relationship with Trump. And then not 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 even a week into office, she was taking selfies with Ivanka Trump and hosting her, you know, at, you know, at, at City Hall. And, and, you know, and it's not a coincidence, even when we think about the public image that she saw and was able to witness. The- That's Ricardo Gamboa, by the way. So now this is Ricardo and Stacy. My apologies. Wait, time out. Kind of, um, that's Ricardo talking right yeah, now? Yeah, that's okay. Ricardo. Got it. The kind of uh, encouragement that someone like J.B. Pritzker was getting for standing up to Trump. And in this moment of her constantly failing in her, in her responses to the pandemic, all of a sudden now is kind of trying to leverage this performance of calling of calling out Trump. And it just seems, you know, it seems, I think, for any critical viewer, as uh, you know, as contrived as what it is. We only have 46 more seconds. Does anyone want to take them away? Laura, go ahead. Hi, so one of the things that I wanted to say was how she reminds me of the Latin American dictators, right, that present this facade of benign, um, you know, like generosity, and they do all these things to appear to be good and safe, but behind, they're actually Machiavellian, and they're violent, right, to an extent that I think when you're talking about making her a benign face, you're actually allowing for that facade to really allow for much more evil things to happen underneath, much more darker things to happen, right? So, and I think this has already happened in Latin America, in El Salvador, in Mexico, right? With a lot of folks who appear to be like benign um, rulers, but they actually ended up disappearing um, lots of people and being incredibly violent um, in the dark. So, I- All right, so I don't know who that was, guys. Honestly, I'm winging it here with this video. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, your thoughts, Ben? Well, again, uh, it's pretty obvious uh, Lori Lightfoot, to put it mildly, is not liked by the left, all right? You know, so they're comparing her to a Latin American dictator. And, you know, I forget which person, uh, maybe it was Maya. It was Maya who was saying this earlier uh, in, the, uh, in the conversation. And Maya says this so much, comes on the show a lot too, uh, that Lori has a very astute political operation, a very astute uh, media strategy, and what she's doing uh, she's basking in sort of the left's criticism of her. So whenever anybody like Ricardo Gamboa or Stacey Davis Gates or Ben Jarofsky or any lefty in the city of Chicago criticizes Lori Lightfoot, Lori Lightfoot could say, look, that's the left. That's the fringe. That's the left fringe. And then she'll turn around and say, the Fraternal Order of Police doesn't like me either. And this, I, I always have a little problem with that. Like, what? You're equating us to the Fraternal Order of Police? Is that it? We're like, we're cut from the same cloth? It's like, supposedly you ran as a progressive with these progressive values of like fair taxation and making sure that the wealthiest people help finance the city and that TIF dollars get evenly and fairly distributed so that even poor neighborhoods get some of the benefits that the wealthy ones. So those are values that you supposedly buy into. Why are you lumping us in with the Fraternal Order Police who you probably share nothing with? But in the public's mind, it's like, yeah. You got Ben, the whacked out lefties, and Stacey Davis Gates, and Ricardo Gamboa, and Maya, and then you got the Fraternal Order Police. She must be doing something good if they're all mad at her. So, yeah, I like her. That, so that's the strategy. D, you got to give him credit, man. She's got 75% approval rating. So something must be working. Yeah, this Hood Wazi video is very interesting. Uh, now, we apparently, Lori Lightfoot uh, did give her. Uh, Recovery Task Force Advisory Report on COVID-19. I have details on that. We got a little more time here. I did find uh, some of Amara Inya on this Hoodwazi video. So let's hear from that. 
identity and getting a past identity. I think this is a, a dynamic that played out significantly in the last election, in particular, where you do have uh, folks who can check boxes and oftentimes representation or your skin color or your um, gender identity or what have you is used to check boxes so we get a lot of symbolism and no substance. And I think that's unique also when we're talking about police because we still have a situation where, for example, those who would consider themselves white liberals or white progressives uh, might say Black Lives Matter, but they still will call the police on you. And I think that's played out in this election in the sense that you're comfortable because you can check those superficial boxes while also voting for someone that will answer the call when you call the police on black people or black and brown folks. So this really, her, who she is, I think has exposed a lot, not just about her track record or lack thereof on progressive issues, but also the ways in which uh, white Chicagoans in particular have been complicit in perpetuating uh, the symbolism over the substance, which is why so much in Chicago has not changed over decades. Well, she's absolutely right about so much in Chicago has not changed in decades. <laughs> Hasn't changed at all in centuries, you might add. Amara Enyati, listening to her, that brought back so many memories. We had Amara Enyati in the studio many yeah, times. We haven't heard from Amara in a while. Amara in a while. Well, Rick, uh, Ricardo Camboa was some kind of uh, political strategist for her. He did her videos and stuff, so I guess that's the connection there. I have not heard from Marania. Of course, she uh, ran for mayor uh, in 2019 and was eliminated in the first round. As you recall, her campaign got a jolt of, uh, of energy when Chance the, the Rapper endorsed her. Remember Kanye showed up in one of the... Uh, the oh gatherings? my God, yeah. Yes. I forgot all about Kanye that. Kanye showed up. 2020 presidential candidate Kanye West? Yeah, who's taking off the MAGA hat. Uh and uh he's isn't that crazy to say oh my god just think about this it's just like the world is so bizarre just how much it's changed because now it's coming back to me it's fluid i believe kanye west also made a campaign contribution to amara enya's campaign remember that day? yeah yeah and uh troy laravier who was also he was considering running ultimately he didn't file petitions but uh he came on the show and was critical of uh amarania for taking the money from kanye west kanye west was still very much basking in the glow of his relationship with trump there was that super freaky bizarre exchange between kanye and trump in the oval office where uh trump kanye was going on one of these kanye riffs like i i didn't know where he was going with it and trump's <laughs> I still see Trump nodding his head, nodding his head. I feel like, you. I feel I, you, Kanye. <laughs> I feel that. Oh, I heard that. <laughs> That's so trippy, Kanye. Uh, and uh, you know, so so here in Chicago, we're trying to translate this into some kind of meaningful progressive statement as these candidates are vying, all calling themselves progressives. Uh, when in reality, it doesn't seem like the real progressive values, you know, like equity and fair taxing, they don't have much of a stand in Chicago. You know, police treating uh, black people with the same courtesy they treat white people. Just the basics, right? The, you know, the 101 stuff doesn't seem to go over very far in the city of Chicago. This is basic progress. But everyone's a progressive, except for the Fraternal Order Police. So it's like, you know, it's like that map that the New Yorker had years ago where you had New York City in the foreground and everything else was in the distance because, like, New York was the only thing that mattered. In Chicago, it's like everyone's a progressive. 
And then you got the Fraternal Order of Police. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Aran, you ran, and uh, we had her on. She, uh, she really knows her stuff. I got to give her credit. My, didn't run much of a campaign, to put it mildly, but she really does uh, know her stuff. So. Shout out to Claire on the live stream chat. She says, boy, all of that seems like half of a lifetime ago. It, uh, Claire, it's just, <laughs> I mean, it's like a dream. It's like, did I live through that? Through that moment? You know? And, th and to think. And I'm just oh, here. I go on another riff. In that campaign, Tony Preckwinkle was the front runner. I work from the assumption. You guys were teasing me at the start of the show how wrong I was on the Supreme Court vote. Although I think uh, when it came down to push come to shove and the the reality of it, I was right. But good spin. Yeah, did you like that, D? That's good. I'm good. I'm good. Oh man, he's good. Uh, but I was really wrong. Where I really was wrong, uh, Babs and Frank. Uh, and I Frank. I know Frank knows this because. Uh, I think he was at the hideout when I predicted that Tony Preckwinkle would win. I thought for sure she was going to win. And uh, she ran an abysmal campaign. Uh, and she didn't figure out how to disconnect herself from Ed Burke. And that uh, brought her down. And uh, she herself was stumbled out of the gates on, the, on a lot of progressive issues, including the Lincoln narrative. Uh, so she, a lot of problems with her campaign. But one of her tactics was to use her uh, her election lawyers to knock people off the ballot. So if you recall, she challenged Lori Lightfoot's petitions. Dee, I don't know if you remember that. We talked a lot about that. It seemed like there was a moment where Lori Lightfoot was on the ropes, but she didn't challenge Amara Enya's petitions. And uh, all the scuttlebutt was because she didn't want to aggravate uh, uh, Chance the Got it. You know, every time I want to say Chance the Rapper, I think of that freaking gator. We were doing that whole thing yesterday. Oh, it's yeah. Like, you know, me with my dyslexia, God, don't say Chance the Snapper. Say Chance the Rapper. That's what's going on in my head. I'm trying to articulate a great thought about Tony Prickle's political strategy, but the other part of my brain is going, don't say Chance the Snapper. Don't say Chance the Snapper. I've seen a whole lot of catfish, some turtles. Uh, no gators yet, though. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> you know what, uh, Jay Marie, as much as I love the, uh, and I do love the, the Raylo Lori Lightfoot showdown like you do, uh, every time D plays that uh, hipster guy. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so they, they left uh, Amar Enya alone. They didn't challenge her petitions, and the, you know, the scuttlebutt was, uh, you know, they didn't want to get Chance mad, plus Chance's dad supported Tony Parker. Anyway, this is ancient history. Lori Lightfoot won with 75% of the vote called herself a progressive. And now all the leading voices of progressive politics in the city of Chicago, I guess they don't even call themselves progressives anymore, D, because now it's like liberal. Liberal became like a bad word. Oh, I think progressive is about to come like a bad word. You know what I mean? It's just overused. So lefties, I, don't know, I just call myself a lefty. I don't think the lefties are ready to say I'm a lefty, you know? something weird well and that. we also learned yes kanye west now running for president uh we found out his party not the democratic party not the republican party but and it just shows you where we are these days guys the birthday party <laughs> that's correct huh God, yeah. all right let's get some more i guess i gotta get monroe on for other predictions uh will kanye get it together to uh you know circulate the petitions uh, gather the signatures needed to get on a ballot in any state. What do you think, D? Sure. You think he'll get it together? Yeah. He's going to serious? No. Yeah. I mean, he's got the money. Right. Essentially, you just got to hire somebody to go out and get the signature. So it's not like that difficult. The issue is, does he have the ultimate desire? Or is this just a PR scheme? 
uh, we'll have, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And you know, I gotta say, uh, well, better, no better time to run than right now, because you got this guy. I'm not a doctor. And this guy. Play the radio. Make sure the television, the, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. The, the, the phone, make sure the kids hear word. Call me crazy thinking about joining that birthday party. <laughs> That's where Dennis is heading. I can tell you right now, folks, I am definitely with the guy playing the radio. I'm going with that guy. Uh, where's my oatmeal? <laughs> Uh, I can't argue with you though. Uh, what was your uh, there was, a friend of yours said he was going to go with the? Oh, party. my buddy said, "Hey man, if we're going to be in stupid town, <laughs> let's just lean in and go all the way." I'm thinking about voting for Kanye. But then, that, then you have the other favorite one. Do the other one, the, the comedian 2016. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember what comedian said it. I'm, I think it may have been Jim Jeffries. I don't know. Go on skin, guys. If you can help me out. But it's the funniest Trump joke ever. No one can top it. He goes, you know, I think uh, everybody voting for Donald Trump was just like, you know what? Let's let the dog drive for a little while and see what happens. That's hilarious. Uh, every now and then I think about that. And then me doing my late night walks, uh, I think about Lori Lightfoot and Raylo and start chuckling. I think about the dog thing. Well, let's let the dog drive, see where that gets us. You know, I want the State of the Union address to rhyme once and for all. Let's get Kanye in there, you know? And he's turning in his MAGA hat. There you go. Hail to the Chief needs a cool beat. You know what I mean? Let's, it's finally time. Let's do this. Uh, the birthday party. <laughs> Yeah, Kanye West, man. All right, and real quick here, a follow-up on what went down here uh, with uh, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, today, she gave a city task force releases their roadmap to economic recovery from coronavirus pandemic plan. Uh, this comes from the Sun-Times. Oh, and you bet your ass, the one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman. Mayor Lori Lightfoot vowed today to lead a, quote, second Chicago renaissance by following a roadmap to recovery from the economic devastation created by the coronavirus pandemic and the stay-at-home shutdown. Uh, Lightfoot said the pandemic and the, system, uh, the systemic vulnerabilities that forced Black and Hispanic Chicagoans to bear the brunt of it provide a, quote, once-in-a-generation opportunity to create a new economic model based on dynamic, including growth. All right. So far, just really big words that mean nothing. So let's keep going. She promised to seize that opportunity by following the blueprint she proudly unveiled during a highly orchestrated news conference complete with videos fit for a task force with more than 200 members and contributors. Lightfoot said, quote, if we do this right, I'm committed to making sure that we do. This will be the kind of transformation that generations from now will be talking about as the second Chicago renaissance. If we do this right, people are going to be coming to Chicago to say, what happened? How did the Chicago Renaissance start? There, she continues, there is a great hunger and need for investment. There is a great hunger and need for healing. What this task force report does very well is meld those two aspects to make sure that we are building healthy and vibrant communities that can unleash the potential that has been suppressed for way too long because we focused almost exclusively on the downtown. Sam Skinner is the Lightfoot friend who co-chaired the COVID-19 Recovery Task Force. He called the report a, quote, labor of love and the roadmap for a seminal moment in Chicago history. We'll do a quote from old Skinner here, and then we'll end it out. Uh, we now know what our challenges are. We now know they're huge. We now know that we've got a battle plan. Now it's up to us to implement it. Uh, I look at this as an opportunity because times are changing. This is giving us an opportunity to figure out how they're changing and what we're going to do to be part of the change and become the number one city in the world to come back uh, from this with a plan. Oh, man. Well, this uh, illustrates 
what Maya was saying. Remember what Maya was saying at the start of the uh, Hood Wazi mm-hmm. uh, and uh, stuff that Maya said many times on this show. Uh, there's spin and then there's reality. And that's a lot of spin in that uh, document. I'd like to see some reality. And folks, we know there's a lot of money, economic development money sitting in those TIF bank accounts. If any mayor, including this mayor, was serious about getting rid of the inequities that plague our city and have plagued our city for years, years and years and years he or she knows where the money is you don't need a task force to tell you where the money is i could tell just give me a call ring a ling a ding ding on this cell phone i'll tell you where the money is it's in the tiff banana stand (laughs) okay i'm gonna hire sam skinner sam skinner big time corporate lawyer used to work skinner i think it was the ford administration it's been a while and, uh, well, I'm going to look into this. These are the same people that Mayor Daly gathered together to tell us that the Olympics were a great idea. Well, we should have the Olympics come to Chicago. That's a great idea. So, I don't know. People in the city of Chicago, they love to hear about task force. Always task force. It used to be called Blue Ribbon. They don't call them Blue Ribbon Commissions anymore, Dean. That's an old thing. We're going to put a Blue Ribbon Commission together, you know, like the top like they win the, the blue ribbon and a prize as a prize in the state fair i so. think i got a problem i can't i just think of beer when i hear blue ribbon mm, Paps Paps blue ribbon, blue ribbon. Yeah. Another one. uh so um anyway d i know you're about to uh do, do you do your outro and i don't want to step on your outro oh thank god uh, uh so can i do the step on before you do the outro oh, what's the name of the show again the ben Geron- yeah sure <laughs> okay. go ahead i just had to say this i didn't get a chance to talk to you about this in our pre-show prep planning because we were so busy listening i made him read the ellen uh email three times read it one more time d uh <laughs> one more time it's music to my ears <laughs> it was really a sweet email thank you so much ellen uh anyway covid finally arrives in scott county but little has changed you see this d no, we should actually talk talk about this more tomorrow. Neil Early, one of our favorite staff reporters for the the bright one, he's the oh, guy. The that, early bird, yeah, the early bird, the downstate guy. He went down to Scott County, which is a rural, a small rural uh, uh, county, southern Illinois, where they're uh, up until now it had been the only county in Illinois without a single case of COVID nineteen, and they lost that distinction when a sixty six year old woman was diagnosed with the virus and was reported to be recovering at her home. Uh, but uh, even with that news, little has changed in the central Illinois county of 4,951. And uh, here's one. The mayor, Mayor McIntyre, that's his name, McIntyre. Not Reba, Rex. Okay? Oh, shoot. All right. Well, and I'm not going to read it with uh, a downstate accent. I only let them, Dennis is the only one to get away with that. Uh, so I'll just read this. Well, everybody was disappointed because we kind of liked being the only county that didn't have a case, a confirmed case but we kind of also knew it was just a matter of time, so no shock or anything. Here's the interesting, Scott County, uh, this, and this gets to show you just like an inherent bias that people in Illinois have about each other. We all have a bias, folks. You know, the, you know people upstate, don't act like you don't have a bias for people downstate. We all know we all have our biases. But anyway, in Scott County, many residents believe that their area have been spared as long as it has, largely because it is scarcely populated and distant from the Chicago area. But then it turns out that right next door, Cass County. Had you heard of that one, Dean? Wait, Cass. is that the home of John Cass? <laughs> Cass County? Different, different Cass. 
uh, oh. uh, our our beloved Chicago Tribune columnist jo- Johnny Harumph Cass <laughs> oh, Harumph I like Trump <laughs> uh, is spelled with a K and this is C A S S. Oh, okay. But uh, Cass County has 136 positive cases and seven reported deaths deaths from COVID, and bordering Morgan County, uh, where many in Scott County go. Uh, has 132 positive cases and three reported deaths. So, folks, just a warning. It's not like you only get COVID from Chicago. You know what I mean? All these bizarre notions that people have about this virus. Uh, you can't get it if you go outside and you're watching the Blue Angels fly, right, Dave? They're angels. Yeah. They'll protect you. <laughs> we've, we've dealt with many of them. Uh, you can't get it if you move fast, quickly through the park. But if you sit in the grass, you're going to get it. Okay? Many of them. If you go outside, hold your breath the entire time, you'll be fine. <laughs> anyway. All right. I just had to share that with you, Dean. Excellent. All right. Well, hey, that's our local news, guys. Uh, we want to remind everybody to download our Benny J bonus interviews and all of our archived episodes. Turns out there's over 600 of these things. All right. 611 to be exact. Uh, both Ben Jarofsky, um, I'm sorry, both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. The Mace Jackson interviews up there. Uh, we also have Candace Castillo. We talked with her over the weekend, our dear friend, uh, so many interviews for you to go check out. Over 500,000 downloads Woo! and counting. Ding. We're looking at Ding. you, a million. We're coming for you. Help us out. Go download those. Uh, subscribe. Give us a like. Share. Uh, a review. Remember, five stars only on those reviews. And uh, we greatly appreciate everybody who's listened and downloaded these shows. We're in the attic. We're having a good old time. And uh, we really appreciate it. Go find us on social media at Benny J Show. B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. You can send us an email. Benny J Show at gmail.com. And... Yes, you can send us a voicemail. What? We have a phone number. It's true. Uh, you can reach us. It's a 708 number. All the 312s and 773s were taken. So we got a 708. You can reach us at 708-658-4788. And also, we want to remind you, if you're listening to this and you are, uh, if you own a business, uh, maybe you're uh, a foreman or a boss at a union or something, we'd love to have you as a sponsor. Like we said, over 500,000 downloads. People are going to hear it, all right? They're going to hear your business, and we would love to advertise with you. I can make a little commercial for you. That I do an architecture commercial that you're going to hear in moments, so we'd be more than happy to work with you. And uh, I just want to give a special shout-out to Jay Marie. Boy, you bailed me out today with that Hoodwazi video. You're awesome. Thank you so much. Up top, Jay Marie. Don't go anywhere, everybody. The Bendrovsky Show will be right back. And, hey, get the bong out, huh? We got a cannabis conversation coming up. Lisa Solomon is going to be joining us. And uh, our guest today is Wanda James. Wanda James, WJ. And I got a feeling we're going to be hearing a lot from her more on The Bendrovsky Show. But her debut interview is coming up. Uh, And while we wait for that, how about a little Michael Girardi, everybody? Uh, It's The Bendrovsky Show. We are live from Ben's Attic. Don't go anywhere.
radio. Make sure the television, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on at night. Make sure the kids hear work. in the light and it's sure shining on all of us tonight let it shine let it shine let it shine 
rediscover our fascinating city this summer on a walking tour from the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Our entertaining and expertly trained docents will guide you through the Chicago you've been longing to explore, from magnificent downtown architecture to awe-inspiring neighborhood gems. If it's worth seeing, we'll take you there. Get tickets at architecture.org forward slash tours. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Hey, college students, are you looking for a way to get ahead this summer? Northwestern University is offering hundreds of undergrad courses online this summer. Choose an intensive sequence in learning. Registration is open now. Visit northwestern.edu slash summer for details. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey guys, how's it going? We're back. All right, we're going to call up Lisa and Wanda, have a cannabis conversation. Hold on. Okay, open the window, man. God dang. All right, let's see here. Okay. Ben's favorite part of the day. Oh, so far, so good. What is that like a. That's me! (laughs) (laughs) And video. All right. Hi. Wanda. Wanda, Welcome to Ben Jarofsky's show. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm doing well, Wanda James. Wanda James. Is Lisa there? Man, I'm here. I can see. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen out there who are listening to us live, you can't see us. Uh, In the old days, we would all be in a little studio, Wanda James, and we could all see each other. But now we do. uh, I can see Wanda. I can see Lisa. Our listeners can hear us. Uh, and uh, so we're about to have a cannabis conversation uh, with Wanda James, but Lisa, Lisa Solomon, my partner in crime from The Reader, you do the honors as we do uh, with all cannabis conversations. You get to introduce our distinguished guest, and she is a di- distinguished guest. Vincent Norman said she should be in the Marijuana Hall of Fame. Uh, and uh, so you get to introduce her and ask the first question, and we'll take it from there. Go ahead, Lisa. All right. Well, Wanda, thank you for joining us on the show today. I know you're incredibly busy. You get requests to speak all over the country, Senate hearings. You are a leader in the industry. Wanda is a business owner. She owns a dispensary in Denver, the Apothecary of Colorado, and Simply Pure Medicated Edibles with her husband. And I had the pleasure of hearing Wanda tell her story as to what brought her into the industry. And I would love, Wanda, for you to tell us that story, how someone who's a former Navy lieutenant and political campaign manager ended up as one of the most highly respected and powerful women in the cannabis industry and a black woman nonetheless. 
Tell us how you got here and how you managed to accomplish what you have. You know, it's, it's so funny. Every time we get to do these um, interviews or be a part of a panel, I, I, I could say that, you know, this was all a grand plan and that, you know, from the time that I was, you know, a small kid, I knew that this was what my path was going to be and I planned all of this out, but um, none of that would be true. So, <laughs> you know, you go where life takes you. And um, for me, anyway, uh, the idea of coming out of the Navy and being in business, um, being an entrepreneur, um, and then having personal things happen that change your, you know, your trajectory. And after meeting my brother and hearing his story, that at 17, he was arrested for four ounces of cannabis, and that four ounces cost him 10 years of his life. When he told me this, when I'd met him, I'd met him um, 21 years ago now, but he told me he never saw an attorney. He told me that he wasn't given due process. He told me that the United States took a 17-year-old black child and made them pick cotton for four years to purchase their freedom. Um, and he told me these stories, and I just knew that it couldn't be true because the America that I wore uh, a uniform for, the America that told me that if I do everything right and go to school and, and you know respect my parents and all that kind of good stuff, that it does the right things for you. Well, then one day you're slapped upside the head and you find out that um, that's not the true story of America and that's not where we have been. And when you pull back the idea of mass incarceration, uh, the issues that we've had with the court system, um, racism, then you start to see how cannabis has played into that hand in a grand way in creating a slave labor class um, that America has never been without. So... And hearing that story was why we got involved um, in 2008, coming off of the um, Obama campaign and coming off of the, I was a campaign manager for Congressman Jerry, who is now governor. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't think about that slave labor. It's modern day slavery because of how the system has been designed. So there is a quote from you that is one of my favorites. The system is never broken. You just have to ask who it was designed to serve. Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of my professors at SU, um, who is now a good friend of mine, um, Dr. Williams, he had been at CU for years teaching African-American studies. And somewhere along um, the last for nine years, we were just talking, and I was frustrated with their brother's story and um, and seeing cannabis change. You know, people are on the cover of Forbes, I'm doing this. And yet in Alabama, um, I'm sure that some kid last night was arrested for trying to sell a dime bag of weed, you know, as in the court system, you know, uh, today. So in the frustration and talking about that, I was like, you know, what is the problem and why is the system so broken? Because this is clearly a broken system. And he looked at me and he says, the system has never been broken in America. You just have to look at who the system was designed to work for. Um, and that is exactly it. It was designed to work so that we always have a slave labor class. Literally, miracle was built on the back of slaves. Um, people that, you know, built this country. And, you know, definitely black Americans, you know, but we have seen it with just about every race of people in America have been enslaved in some way or another over the last 450 years of our development. 
so it is no surprise that on the day that, you know, slaves were set free, that within a month, um, the 13th Amendment ratifying um, that slavery was now ended or abolished allowed for slavery um, in the penal system. And immediately uh, we started to look at how we could um, penalize uh, mostly African-American males at that point to work slave labor. So we have never been without a slave labor class because this is how our system was designed to work. Wanda, let me just go back to the story you were telling, just to fill out some of the details. Uh, you said your brother was arrested for possessing, did I get this correct, four ounces of cannabis, four ounces, and uh, that cost him how many years of his life in incarceration? How many years, did you say? Ten years of, ten years of his life that he was in the system, four years that he was actually um, incarcerated in a maximum security prison. Um, at 18 years old for four ounces of pot. In what state? <laughs> you get three guesses. Texas, Texas, Texas. Yeah. Um, you know, go on vacation, you know, come home on probation. But, you know, here's the thing that, you you know, when I tell that story, you know, a lot of people are met with disbelief. But let's break that story down. So how did it happen that my brother never saw an attorney? Um, when he was first arrested, when he was arrested, he was 17 years old. We're going out that night um, back in the day, and I'm holding up four fingers, but four fingers used to be what we would call a lid or an ounce of weed in a, in a sandwich bag, um, and that was about $40 worth of bad weed. So he grabs the money from four of his friends, goes into the person's house to, to get the cannabis. Um, the guy gives him a little bit extra, so we actually had four and a half ounces on him because, of course, he just bought, you know, $160 worth of weed. Ooh, right? And on the way out, the house was under surveillance. My brother um, was popped at the same time that the drug dealer was, was popped. Um, he never saw an attorney, which was shocking to me because I was in the military when I met my brother, and I would have never imagined that anybody would go into the penal system and not see an attorney. They called his mother. Um, his mother came down to pick him up. He was 17 at the time. The judge put some papers in front of his mom, said, sign these papers. You can take your son home today. She signed the papers. Not realizing what she was signing was admitting her son's um, uh, admitting her son's uh, uh, guilt and, and making him a felon without ever seeing an attorney. Um, and that action then um, made him a ward of the court. He did go home, uh, and within a 30-day period, he had to come back to see his probation parole officer, uh, whoever that may have been. And of course, they tested him for cannabis. The minute that they tested him on a drug test, of course, he popped positive. Whether he continued to smoke, I don't know during that time, but even still, if it was less than 30 days, it would have been in his system anyhow. Um, and they immediately took him into custody, and my brother then did four years um, picking cotton. He picked 100 pounds of cotton every day for four years to purchase his freedom in Texas. Man, and I, I just, let's just for a moment go political. And uh, I told Wanda in our pre-show conversation that I, I go political the drop of a hat. Uh, so let's just go political, Wanda, for a moment and think about the Supreme Court ruling. I already mentioned this to you. I was freaking out before the show. I was ranting and railing. Wanda got to hear me in full glory. The, the justices of the Supreme Court, they could have bend over backward. Everybody's patting the justices of the Supreme Court in the back because they ultimately, ultimately ruled that prosecutors in New York should have the right to look at Donnie Trump's 
uh, income tax returns. But <laughs> you know, yeah, let's not rush things. Let's there's procedural matters that have to be addressed. So it'll be after the election, okay, that we get to see him if we get to see him at all. Wanted James, just think about the amount of protection Donald John Trump has gotten through lawyers filing all sorts of documents, tying up the court system forever, going through all all the way to the Supreme Court where they punt and rule that ultimately he doesn't have to show uh, his documents until after the election so he can be safely reelected. And compare that to your brother. Ten years, you told me, picking cotton in Texas for four ounces of reefer? And unfortunately, the story of your brother is not a unique one. I was just getting ready to say that. You know, it would be a tragic story if my brother was the lone victim of this. It would be a tragic story. It is a repulsive story to understand that this situation happens um, over 800, well, happened before legalization, over 800,000 times a year that somebody is arrested for simple possession in America. 85% of those arrests tend to be black and brown boys um, between the ages of 17 and 24. Once again, not a mistake. The system knows that those are the youngest, uh, or those young men um, are healthy, can go to work right away. Um, and, and, and when we start talking about this slave labor thing, too, here's the bigger piece of this. States, you know, brag about it. California was very proud of the fact that it had um, prisoners putting out the wildfires last year. Okay. A dollar a day. They the fact that these prisoners are out there doing this. That's slave labor. Um, if you buy your flowers from one of the big box stores, my husband doesn't like me uh, putting out names of, of major corporations, but, you know, of all of the big depot home stores that you shop at, all of those flowers, all of that garden center are all grown on prison, on prison grounds. Um, market had to do a, a turnaround when they were proudly putting out that, their prisoners were making artisanal cheese, um, and they, they backed off of that and, and did that contract uh, because of the backlash. But understand that most of the Fortune 50 or 500 um, are working with prisons um, to have free labor. And I've asked to ask, I, I want to keep going on, but can you imagine how much money I would make as a business owner if I did not have to pay my employees? No, and it's okay to go on about this because this is the type of information that needs to get out there and taking it a step further, what can we do to help change the system? What can the average person do that is completely outraged by this? Let's go back to what Ben and I were talking this morning because here's the problem. We have carried, and I don't want to point at uh, groups of people, but we have to. We have carried white men in this country for so long that we have given privilege upon top of privilege upon top of privilege, um, head start upon top of head start where, and I don't know all of the numbers exactly, but 80% of businesses are owned by white men. We know that 99% of wealth is owned um, by white Americans. I'm assuming most of that is white men. We know that 70% of Congress is filled in seats by white men. We know that judgeships are, you know, predominantly white men. We know that I, I mean, it is ridiculous that one demographic in a country that claims to be diverse and based on diversity has given nothing but benefit upon benefit upon benefit to one group of people. And as we all know, corrupt absolutely. So how do we do this? We need to change. We need what we believe about Americans, what we believe about law enforcement, because uh, 
uh, locking up our people for ridiculous um, quote unquote crimes like smoking pot is um, is a failure of who we are as a people. Um, and that's of changing, which is what I'm hoping we're seeing now in the threat of America or starting to see now in the threat of America. Well, one of the imp- uh, impediments to uh, this change uh, on this particular issue, the war on drugs, okay, on this particular issue uh, uh, is that cannabis, Lisa, that's for you, is still illegal on the federal level. And every ca- guest that uh, we bring on for cannabis conversation, we have this conversation. Here in Illinois, the Democrats are very proud of the fact. Now, give them credit, Wanda. They passed on their own a legalization bill uh, and has enabled uh, some dispensaries to open in the state of Illinois. They're doing very well. Still no black-owned dispensaries. We'll get to that. Uh, Colorado, I understand it was driven by a referendum, voter referendum, so it's legal in the state of Colorado. But it's still illegal federally. So what happened to your brother could still occur, am I right, uh, in the United States of America, despite what we've done in Illinois and what we've done in Colorado? It absolutely could, and it does. And like I said, I'm sure it happened last night in Alabama. You know, I don't have the name of the person that was arrested, but I'm sure that there is some young man right now uh, from a poor family. Um, and, you know, and it's funny when you think about people, when I, and one of the things I always ask folks when I go to speak is I ask, how many people in this audience um, know an attorney personally? And it's always amazing to me that, you know, less than a third of the audience raises their hand, you know, and that once again starts to show that privilege, right? We're not arresting white kids at college because I remember being a student at CUPD sitting, being a student at CU and having CUPD walk by as we're sitting on the steps of Libby Hall on a Friday afternoon, you know, rolling, you know, six ounces of weed in between us. Um, getting ready for the weekend, CUPD walks by, we push it behind us, and they're like, you know, y'all need to put that away. And we're like, yeah, okay. And they would go on. Because it makes no sense to arrest middle-income and upper-income kids when they know that their parents are going to come down there with their parents' attorney and tap dance all over them, and it's going to be a problem for the DA, right? So we don't do that. We do go after um, communities in which people can't defend themselves. And that's why this has happened that way. And when we look at white male privilege, look at what's happening in cannabis. My brother went to jail. The kid last night in Alabama went to jail, yet <laughs> we just saw the Green Solution sell for $148 million here in Colorado to a white male bash hedge fund company. And in Colorado alone, out of 717 dispensaries, only two of them are black-owned. So you start to see that even in this industry, we're having an amazing, difficult time being a part of the industry because, once again, um, laws prevented people from uh, being uh, first movers. Um, if you had a felony, you weren't allowed to participate in Colorado back in 2009. Um, you know, we left out a lot of folks moving forward. And in Illinois, you get points on your application for having a cannabis felony on your record. So people want to learn more about the history. I've recommended the movie Grass to a lot of people. 1999, narrated by Woody Harrelson, goes through the history of prohibition, its racist roots. Do you have other resources that you would recommend to people? You know what? There's so much out there, and that's a good one because it was entertainingly done very well. Um, 13, if anybody has ever seen that documentary, Mm -hmm. uh, that 
good because that goes through the 13th Amendment um, prohibition and how slavery pulled into it. And there's an old book out there, and I got a copy when I first got into the industry about 10 years ago, and you might be able to find it on paperback, but it was called The Emperor Wears No Clothes by Jack Herrera, and it goes through the whole um, history of how, why it became illegal. Um, you know, William Ans- uh, Anslinger saying that, you know, people make, you know, uh, darkies feel like they are equal to white men. Um, you know, it, it's amazing um, to see the uh, the attacks of politics on uh, law enforcement, I mean, uh, on uh, the drug war. You see what Nixon, you know, uh, his paranoia brought him to wanting to fight hippies and black people. And it's all right there in black and white. So you can't even begin to um, think that this was not done um, uh, uh, on purpose. Like we said, the system is never broken. Wanted to talk about how you got uh, you got the capital together uh, to launch your own business because right now, as I said, and uh, Lisa and I say this all the time, there are no black-owned dispensaries uh, in the state of Illinois. We are constantly celebrating how much legalized reefer we're selling, and the state uh, just promote. I forget how many forty-eight million dollars in sale. I'm doing it off the top of my head for the last month, even in the middle of a pandemic. We're always congratulating ourselves for all that. Um, but uh, there's still no black-owned uh, dispensaries in the state of Illinois. So how did you uh, launch your career in Colorado? So I'm hopeful for Illinois. I know that there are a lot of black um, and brown uh, uh, applicants in the state of Illinois. Um, so we're, we're hopeful that the state of Illinois is going to get it right. COVID has pushed a lot of things back, which is another issue that I have because, quite frankly, for economic recovery, we need to move all of this stuff forward so that we do have businesses in um, the hardest hit areas that are going to be able to help us with this economic recovery as that happens. But back to how we got started, once again, this is the first over advantage piece that people have to understand that we were given back in 2009. In 2009, our first dispensary cost, um, I don't remember exactly, but about $200,000. Because back in 2009, there was no regulatory framework. We didn't have to have all of the cameras. Have to have all the special licensing. We didn't have to have all of the, um, you know, blast rooms built. It didn't have to be uh, done in an area of which landlords were able to, you know, rate people for the the, the cost of a place. Back then, we had to find um, an office space, put down the first and last month's rent, and decorate it. You know, uh, people literally walk in with wheat that grown and was like, when we think about this, we would literally smoke it in the back room, what we thought about it, and put it on the shelf. Um, now, the level of testing that you have to go through if you're a grower, and we're also cultivators um, and manufacturers, so the level of regulatory framework and regulation that we go through is to just open up a small business. Um, you know, you're going to be $5 million into this industry pretty easily if you're looking at doing a vertical um, dispensary grow facility and manufacturing minimum. And that's small and minimum. Um, most of the large guys that are putting together these vertical pieces are looking at 50 to $100 million. Okay. I've got a question for you. We're expecting to have the first equity licenses for dispensary given out later this month in Illinois. The biggest problem is the lack of product. We have a flower shortage here. And my thought is these states that have excess supplies, they could set up an arrangement to get 
you know, at least temporary shipments here until our craft growers who won't get licensed till much later this year now actually have product. Once again, you know, this was never broken and it's really crazy, right? Because let me go back to why there is not federal legalization happening. The people who are making money, people think that in the cannabis industry, if you have a dispensary that your, your septic license is going to make just billions rolling in. We bring in a lot of money. We keep very little of it because of how we taxed. We're taxed under a system 280E, which was based on Pablo Escobar bringing in, uh, you know, drug money in the 80s into, into Florida banks. So 280E effectively allows the federal government to tax us at 60 to 80% of our income, which means if I made $100 a day and I paid out 75 in salaries and rent and electricity, right? In a normal business, I would then be taxed on 25. In the cannabis business, I'm taxed on the full 100 that I made, even though I didn't keep it. So they effectively take away your profit um, because, as you know, when criminals go down in America, they never go down for murder or racketeering. They go down for tax evasion, right? So this is that whole scheme for the federal government to be able to do this. So now when you look at cannabis, which is a you know $150 million, billion-dollar industry, whatever it is right now, America, the federal government is getting 60 to 80% of that, even though it's illegal. Crazy, right? Absolutely so, insane. This is why keep it illegal, and then it becomes ridiculous for situations like we're talking about right now. How is there a cannabis shortage in Illinois and in Colorado when we got too much, or in, in, in Washington, they have too much of it? In any other place in the world, if I had too many carrots in Colorado, I could ship them to, you know, <laughs> the other 50 states, right? The other 49 states. But we can't do that with cannabis because the federal government is making a ton of money off of us. Let, let's just go back to that and let me make sure that everybody understood what you said because that's the first time I'd heard that quote. So did, you, did I hear you correctly that the federal government tax is the revenues of your company at the rate of 60 to 80%? So just making things easy. If you brought in a hundred grand, you had to pay you have to pay sixty thousand dollars in taxes. So you're left with forty thousand dollars? Yeah. Where where are all my Republican brothers and sisters who are outraged by taxation on this issue? Sixty to eighty percent? Because cannabis is so so what so where we get our breaks and where um, the uh, the accountants in cannabis are at. So if we can drive up our cost of goods, that determines whether you can get to the 60 or to the 80%. Um, and getting your cost of goods up uh, requires different parts of the business, requires a bunch of ridiculous schemes that you have to pay accountants for to be able to keep more of that money in your business, which at the same time, now you're paying accountants ridiculous amounts of money to come up with ways of increasing your cost of goods sold so that you can decrease your taxes while you're increasing the amount of accountants I mean, it's, it's really nutty. And, and, and honestly, a lot of people that know money and know business well often ask, why are you doing this right now? Um, for us, it is a social justice and a political move. Um, and we are serial entrepreneurs. And two, we've been in it for so long now that to have to wait for another three or four years, <laughs> knock on wood, when the federal government gets out of it, the payoff then will be much larger, right? But once again, at that time, what we don't know is 
will there be any small business people left by the time that it goes legal or will it all belong to the massive hedge fund huge companies that are now driving out the small business owners so to those uh big time hedge fund operators who are moving into the market do they have to pay at that same rate uh oh yeah so but uh, presumably they have an army of accountants who can bring it down an army of accountants that can bring it down they've got the hedge fund set, set up and like i said once again there's you know, um, the, the issues, I don't want to bore it and, and get your your, client, your listeners bored with all of this, but the um, owning a dispensary gets the least amount of write-offs because the actual crime in selling a Schedule One illegal drug is in selling a Schedule One illegal drug. Growing a Schedule One illegal drug, while illegal, isn't necessarily financially um, as big of an issue as it is to sell it. So you get more write-offs if you are growing cannabis than you are if you are selling cannabis. So these bigger funds that are out there, they do a real good job of having much larger growth facilities, smaller um, dispensaries where they get the least amount of write-offs, um, bigger growth facilities, bigger manufacturing where they get the most amount of write-offs. Uh, you know, so what advice do you have for these people that will get their licenses in another couple of weeks and some of these groups do not have very deep pockets and with the lag time to open the dispensary and then for there to be enough product what can they do uh breaking piece that people are not talking about with cannabis that folks don't understand and also the other piece to, about this is Quite frankly, because of the monopolies and the people that have gotten it, one dispensary will probably not give you enough money um, to be financially independent, um, unless it has to be a dispensary like Planet 13 in Las Vegas, where you're doing, you know, I don't know, 5,000 people a day or through. But if you just have, uh, you know, a corner dispensary um, that's doing, you know, 2.5 to $3 million a year, they're going to find it very difficult to survive. You're going to find it very difficult to survive in the current market. And because of the monopolies that, um, well, and, and Illinois is doing it better, but here in Colorado, there are monopolies that own 80 dispensaries. <laughs> I own, they, they also own, um, you know, three of the largest outdoor growth facilities in Colorado and two of the largest indoor growth facilities. So when they decide to drop the price of cannabis, you know, $5 a gram, um, the small business owner won't be able to compete. It's the Walmart situation, right? So um, it, it drives out all the small business um, owners in the area around the mega dispensary. Uh, Wanda, we're going to close down the interview with one last question for you, and that is this. Uh, do you see any prospects of the uh, – federal uh, ban on uh, marijuana ending with this presidential election? You know, uh, dear God, um, and I, I, you know, we need to also go on, on white male privilege, not just picking on, on white men, but how up with Biden and Trump. I, I, I mean, I don't understand how we ended up with people with a lot of the same thought processes when it comes to cannabis. And right now, Biden not anti-cannabis, but he has not warmed up to it and does not understand the mass incarceration, the slave labor, um, why we need to end this piece to it. So um, I think that the Democrats will be better 
um, than what we've seen with the Republican Party. That between now and January 20th, um, and hopefully a good vice presidential run, and we'll show him how important, uh, you know, this is uh, ending not just mass incarceration, but police harassment, police The first thing that we see every time somebody is killed by a cop is, oh, they had cannabis in the system. Oh, they had cannabis on them. Both on John, they released that it was in his in his apartment. I mean, the dude was sitting there smoking a joint, eating ice cream when a cop busted in and killed him. And yet we have to hear about how he has weed in his apartment, right? So we need to end the demonizing of where we're at. And I'm really hopeful that the, the Democrats get this right, um, fix Biden's position on this. And the, the vice presidential candidate is somebody that we look forward to being president in the next, in the following term. Well, Wanda, to that point, and like I told you that, I get political really fast. And I was just thinking about this. Uh, I was going doing a story about Republican campaign ads historically. And you guys are a little younger than me, so I don't know if you remember the Willie Horton ad. The yep. Will, Willie Horton ad occurred in 1988 when a Republican operative supporting George Herbert Walker Bush, think Daddy Bush, not Baby Bush, Daddy Bush, they were worried that Michael Dukakis the Democratic candidate was going to defeat Bush. And so what they did, they exploited uh, an incident that occurred in Massachusetts where a uh, prisoner was let release on a weekend furlough, ran away, uh, and uh, raped a woman in, in another state. Willie Horton was his name. And they put his image uh, on a commercial and essentially told America that if you vote for Michael Dukakis, you're voting for the release of Willie Horton on yep. women across the country. That's the message, Wanda. That's what they gave. Exactly Michael Dukakis got so paranoid, paranoid, didn't know how to handle it. He uh, blew, blew that election. Bush won. And the Democrats, man, this is how Democrats react, Wanda. Bill Clinton and the Democrats said, we're not making that mistake again. And yep. they moved to the right on this issue. And here we are, how many years later? And we're still yep. trying to dig out all the war on drugs. People are still in jail. Your brother, 10 years for four ounces. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's So yep. I'm it's hoping the, Repub the Democrats play to their values on these issues. But they're so easily intimidated, Wanda. Do you follow me? They're so easily one attack ad and they're hiding under a table. And they won't accept it. And it's it's pretty amazing, but I think that we're going to have to show some real teeth because we're fighting for the soul of America right now and what America is going to mean um, to the masses. And, you know, we've got to decide what America means to the masses. Right now. All right, Wanda James, thank you very much. I uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Lisa Solomon, thank you very much for setting it up. Uh, and Wanda James, I can tell you right now, ladies and gentlemen, will be a regular in the Ben Jarofsky show. I'm going to look at her every month. Uh, she's going to be seeing that name on her phone. Oh, no, not him again. Thank you very much, Wanda. Thank you very much, Lisa. Stay safe and sound. All right. Uh, Wanda James. <laughs> then go get them. Uh, Dean, any updates before we head out the door? I just want to remind everybody, find us on social media, at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Send us an email, Show at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, and Say hey to Leah if you're uh, posting to us online. Yeah, uh, and one update I have, I just saw this flashed. I haven't had a chance to read the full story. Uh, they're ordering Michael Cohen 
back to to federal prison. I don't know if you saw that D that just flashed on my phone. Michael Cohen, Donald Trump's lawyer, is one really gets to me. Uh, Michael Cohen's the lawyer, the fixer for Donnie Trump. Uh, so he got sent to prison, <laughs> but Donald Trump is still president of the United States. Hey, Cohen, get in there! <laughs> they had released him uh, at the height of the pandemic, let him serve a sentence at home, and now they're saying he has to go back uh, to prison, I guess. I, don't, I guess they don't read the newspapers, D, that the pandemic's still out there. <laughs> you know, I, I guess that judge or whoever ordered him back in New York didn't read the newspapers. But uh, anyway, Michael Cohen's going to prison. Hard for me to feel sorry for Michael Cohen. Because he's such a dastardly guy for Donald Trump all those years. I don't know, it just kind of gnaws at me. Sort of the theme that Wanda James was getting at that uh, it's not fair in this system. It's not fair indeed. Anyway, Cohen! <laughs> Back you go, pal. <laughs> yes. That's correct. Okay. <laughs> Mueller. Uh, so, anyway, uh, so no, no more updates. So, I want to thank uh, Lisa Solomon and I want to thank the great Wanda James. Uh, for coming on the show. And of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of joy of Alton, Illinois. Without him, the show would be possible. And as Jay Marie can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dennis. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everybody.